as they make their way downstairs, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4. I've shared with you before that when we, Kelly and I first uh, heard of Hot Springs, South Dakota, we had to go to the library. The internet was not yet accessible. Went to the library to look up what, where South Dakota was. Um, we were surprised to learn that it was actually um, here and not <laughs> eastward. Um, we were surprised to learn that uh, Mount Rushmore was here. We thought it was part of the uh, Vietnam Memorial. Um, and we were, we were kind of frightful because we read, I've shared this on several occasions, um, I've mentioned this on several occasions because it scared the living daylights out of us. We had actually accepted um, the, the call from the congregation to come, and we went and read what, but about the winters of South Dakota and rent. I think most of the history is written about eastern South Dakota. And um, it said, only the hardiest of people can survive the winters of South Dakota. And we both said, what have we gotten ourselves into? And uh, for the most part, we've been pleasantly surprised in how mild our winters are. But today, you are the hardiest of the hardiest in showing up. I'm glad that you are here and um, thankful that we're able to spend a few moments with one another. I want to read these first six verses once again. Uh, we, we talked about this, these verses last week, and I want to spend a little more time in this. Um, I, I think it, it's of great value in our thinking and of our understanding of the ministry of God's Spirit within us. Let's read together, beginning in verse number one. The Apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now, now, is in the, now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. <clears throat> we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I think there are two, two uh, basic truths that we need to note uh, before we pick up in this passage where we left off last week. The first thing I want to call your attention to is that John's statement here and in instruction and exhortation to, a discer to being discerning, to testing the spirits, is based upon what he had already stated back at the first of chapter 3. If you would, in your Bibles, just back up a chapter to verses 1 of chapter 3 and read with me there. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us 
that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that is Christ, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So as John warns the saints of false prophets and exhorts toward discerning the spirits, he reminds them, first of all, that they are from God. Notice again in our passage in chapter 4, the use of the term from God. God. He uses it several times, but specifically to the saints. Verse number one, notice he says to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Verse number two, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Verse number four, little children, you are from God. Verse number six, we are from God. That little phrase or that little two-worded statement from God speaks of, of, the, of, of the believer being sourced from God. That is, God is the source of the Christian's life. It's much what we would find Uh, with the Apostle Paul when he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The the life that we live is the life of Christ. Eternal life is the very life of God that God has bestowed upon us, a reality that each one of us who know Jesus as our Savior can be assured of and can rest and can find hope in, that we Find the source of life in God. When we consider this, we, we consider that the, the, the concept of, of what a Christian is in much of the culture today, or in any day, is often skewed in what we what what the 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 human thought might think of what a Christian really is, and is normally based on external behavior. But the truth is, one does not become a Christian merely by putting on Christianity like a coat. Christianity is not the reformation of the outer man through the means of personal determination. Being a Christian is a work that comes from above. It is a work that comes from God that regenerates a sinner to become a new creation from within, to be made new. Eternal life is the very life of God that he bestows upon his people. And a Christian is one who, by the mercies of the Father, through the redemptive work of the Son and the regenerating ministry of the Spirit, 
has been called out from the world to be called a child of God. Now, throughout John's letter, we pointed out last week, John draws distinct lines between the Christian who is born of God and the world, that is, those outside of Christ. Such is the case in the passage before us. He uses the term the world to contrast those who are in Christ. The world refers to the world system, or what Paul would refer to in Ephesians chapter 2 as the the course of this world, the, the pattern, the direction of this world that is governed by the prince of the power of the air under the authority and permission of God. The second thing I think is important for us to to understand uh, in this layout of this letter that John writes, writes is that what he says in chapter 4 in the exhortation to be discerning um, refers even back to the previous verse of chapter 3. We read this last week. If you, would, if you look in your Bible to the very last verse in chapter 3, verse number 24, John says, whoever keeps God's commandments abides in God. That, that word abide is that, is that residency. So it speaks of the fellowship of the communion that we have been afforded to have with God, the fellowship we have with God. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that God abides in us. How? By the Spirit whom he has given us. Yeah, that's that last phrase is what I want to bring, it, bring to your attention. By the Spirit whom he has given us. As we read the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, we read of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, he is mentioned in the Old Testament, but he functioned in a different way in the Old Testament than he does after the crucifixion or after the resurrection. In the Old Testament, we read of the Holy Spirit coming upon the saints and then removing himself. David prayed, remove not your spirit from me. Samson uh, went out uh, after his hair was cut, and he went out and shook himself, the, the King James Version says, as though he would shake the men from, the, from their grasp upon him. He shook himself, and he did not know that the spirit had departed from him. But in the, whole, in the New Testament, Jesus said, it is expedient for me to go back to the Father, that is, after the resurrection, to ascend back to the Father, so that he might send forth his Holy Spirit, who would make his abode in the believer. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. And so throughout this New Testament, we learn that the Holy Spirit ministers in many ways toward the elect. For example, and here's just a couple of examples, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit 
is spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are regenerated. We are born again. The Apostle Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of adoption. Romans chapter 8 Paul says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Then he says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you get that? The ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he bears witness with your spirit that you belong to the Lord, that you are a son of God. You are a child of God. According to Ephesians chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The King James translation uses the word earnest, that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance, Uh, a term with which we are familiar when we we buy a house. When we buy a home, we, we put down earnest money or a guarantee that we will follow through with the purchasing of this home. And if we choose to back out of the deal before we close on the house, then we lose that earnest money. The Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. So the role of the Holy Spirit in the, in the economy or in the stewardship of the Trinity, we see that, that each person of the Trinity um, operates in different ways or carries out particular things in the redemption of man. So we might, we will read in the scriptures of Uh, God the Father, who decreed before the foundations of the world that through redemption he would gather to himself out of sinners a people for his own sake. So he he decreed that. The God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, Deity, God in the flesh. He came and he took on flesh so that he might accomplish the work that brought about redemption, so that he might bring redemption. But the role of the Holy Spirit is the application of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. He applies it to the heart that brings us to salvation, and he applies it to the heart that brings us into a process of sanctification, of growing in him. So there are many more things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives than what we've already mentioned, including the convicting of sin, praying on your behalf. Romans chapter 8, I love that passage where it says that when we don't even know what to say, our hearts are burdened, we are groaning within, that the Spirit himself groans and prays and intercedes on our behalf. Because often we don't even know what to pray. But he does. And he prays on our behalf. Um, 
he, so he convicts of sin. He prays on our behalf. He teaches you all things. He leads you into truth and many, many more things. But here in our passage of 1 John, we know that God abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given. That is, he bears witness within our hearts that we belong to him and that he is in us and that we are in fellowship and communion with God. And it is with this, ins- this assurance to his readers that John continues to distinguish them from the world. So let's look this morning at this morning's passage asking two questions. Whom do you confess and whom do you hear? Those two things relate to one another, but let's see if we can break it down. It's broken down in, in, in the first three verses, uh, speaks about whom do we confess, and the verses four through six speaks about whom do you hear? Now, we've talked about in the past that there were false teachers. Uh, in fact, that's why that's what Paul is speaking about here in, in uh, chapter 4, that he is he's saying there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. Um, there was one particular false teacher that um, was active in Ephesus during John's time. His name was Serenthus. He taught that Jesus was the physical son of Joseph, but he was a human being. But then at his baptism, the Christ of the ages descended upon him and united with him, and then he left before his suffering and his death. It's an, it's a, it's a, it's an, uh, a skewed humanistic view of Christ. Apparently, he was successful in leading many astray. We, we, we've talked about in the past, we talked about last week, even many who were part of the, the fellowship of believers, the assembly of the saints, who were assumed to belong to Christ. It seems evident that some among John's readers were listening to the proponents of, of these false teachings and were a bit taken by it. Perhaps some were confused. Perhaps some were swayed. And so he writes, beloved, in verse number one, beloved, do not believe every spirit. Just because it sounds good and even though, if, just because it tickles your ears, just because they, they use the right words and, 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 and they, they are persuasive in their speech, don't believe any spirit except that you test every spirit. Test those spirits to see if it really is from God. And he says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, I, I think the thing about false teachers is that they are so persuasive, so subtle, so deceiving, so persistent, that often they actually sound as though they are saying essentially the same things that the Bible is saying, with just a little bit of a twist. Sometimes it becomes so close you can't even tell a difference. And it is the way we fall into deception, right? I, 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 I know if I stood up here and I told you that, I don't know, that one of the turkeys in my yard talked to me last night and said, I needed to tell you this, thus says the Lord through the turkey, you would know that I was a false prophet, right? Amen? <laughs> Please, you would know? 
Yes. So we, we know those things are, are obvious. So, so false, false prophets don't, don't work in that way. They, they take a little bit of truth. They mix it with error. Just enough truth to make it sound good, but just enough error to lead you astray. The most persuasive false teachers come as close to the truth as possible. Many are great speakers who have cultivated great oratorical skills that draw their listeners in. And this is the very reason, this is the very reason that the Apostle Paul, when he approached or when he came to, to the city of Corinth, refused to speak with flowery speech. He, he says, he writes to them in, 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 the first, in the first letter that he writes to the church in Corinth. He's, he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. There, there was a great university in the city of Corinth, and there were great Greek philosophers in those days who would stand on the street corners and they would teach and they would expound the wisdom that all would stand in awe as they would hear. And a lot of times they would say things that sounded good, but maybe didn't really make any sense. But they were wonderful in their persuasive skills, and Paul said, no, I don't want to do that. And he explains why. I I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And here's the reason so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the same vein, John is warning his readers not to believe the hype. All that glitters is not gold. Like the store clerk who holds a $20 bill up to the light to see if it's counterfeit, so must the Christian test every spirit to see whether they are from God. Verse number two, he gives to us the standard, or what we might call the litmus test. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Notice John's interchange of the term spirit. He is teaching us that our human spirit needs to be governed and led by the spirit of God who has been given to us. The Apostle Paul instructs the saints in Galatians 5 to walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, in Ephesians 5, Paul contrasts being drunk with wine to being filled with the Spirit. Human human reasoning and human wisdom, I believe, is a gift from God. And it adds, and it aids, or it aids mankind in the advancement of civilization. I, I am thankful that God has gifted men with the ability to study science and to study 
the, 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 um, the creation that has been given to him, even though they may not acknowledge him or acknowledge that this is his creation, the, the discoveries of men have been wonderful for civilization. I am thankful for uh, the medical field that are able to take care of uh, illnesses that we might face today and of different things that, that are things. I'm thankful for, for men who used up 2,000 different items to see what would l make a light bulb so that we can stand here in light. I'm thankful for the technology that we have so that you might be able to hear us. We, we have many creature comforts today because of human wisdom and reasoning. But even that is from God. But human wisdom and reasoning operates in a fallen condition and is tainted by sin. Historically, apart from the grace of God, civilizations are actually not very civilized. The human heart, human mind, intellect, wisdom, and reasoning do not of its own volition pursue after God. And when the human heart, mind, and will does not pursue after God, historically, they turn to violence toward one another. It is by the Spirit of God that your human spirit confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And so John writes, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now just to be clear, to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not merely adhering to a particular creed about Jesus. So uh, I was visiting with, with um, one of our young men who is taking a class on, on um, uh, Baptist symbolics on, on, the, on the confessions of the church such as the 1689 London Baptist Confession. So if we were to adopt the London Baptist confession, uh, that would not make you a Christian just because you say, I adhere to it, right? We're not talking about adhering to a creed. We are talking about a love for a person, a confession toward a person. To confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is to embrace the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In particular, it is to confess and to embrace the deity of Jesus, that he is the anointed one of God in the flesh. It is the confession that Jesus is who the scriptures claim him to be. To confess Jesus Christ is to fall before him as though he is your only hope. To contrast, when Jesus asked his disciples 
if they too would leave him as the crowds had done in his earthly ministry, Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This morning, we sang a creed, or this morning, we sang a confession. Uh, here's, the, here's the words. Um, I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. There's a confession. There is a confession that comes about only by the ministry of the Holy Spirit who influences our spirit to confess him. Except for Judas, who betrayed Jesus, and John, who was exiled, every one of the disciples gave their lives in martyrdom because of their confession. They did not give their lives for a creed. They gave their lives for a person. On the other hand, the Gospel of John records that many, even the authorities, believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. John adds, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This leads us to the second pertinent question, the first being, Who do, whom do you confess the second, whom do you hear? Verse number four, read with me there once again. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Once again, John correlates the believer's sonship and union with God with the indwelling Holy Spirit, little children, he says, not just an endearing term, and there are many endearing terms that John uses in this letter, but this is not just an endearing term that he uses, but it is a reminder that they are born of God. Little children, you are from God. God is your source of life. You have eternal life. You have overcome them. Who is them? the false teachers, the false prophets, the false, false teachings. You have overcome the world. That is, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and you have been transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, you are preserved, you are sustained in the midst of this world. For he who is in you that is, the Holy Spirit, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, that spirit of Antichrist. The distinction, again, is the indwelling spirit of God from the spirit of the world. The distinction between the world and the Christian is witnessed by the source of its truth, by whom we hear, whom we listen to. Verse number five, he says they are 
from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Who's them? The false prophets. The world, the world speaks, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, that is the false prophets, and the world listens to them. The they that John speaks of here are the false prophets. They speak from human reason and logic, assessing the affairs of the world through their own understanding. Their teaching regarding Christ do not come from divine revelation. Rather, it comes from their own thoughts and surmising. And let me suggest that what you believe about Jesus affects the whole of life, even when there seems to be no correlation. So false prophets will teach from the wisdom of this world because their life source is earthly and the world listens to them. In contrast, John writes in verse number six, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now, very quickly here, notice that he says we are from God. John's reference to we refers to John and the apostolic witness, the other apostles who were the, found, they and the prophets were the foundation of the church. He is speaking of the message proclaimed. If you remember the first chapter of the, the first four verses of the first chapter, John begins, that which we have, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it. That is the apostles' witness. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is from God. Therefore, those who know God listen to his message while those who are not from God do not listen to him. John is not, in case you came, in case you have sat under teachers who have claimed this, he is not giving license to any pastor to claim authority over his congregation, claiming I am from God, therefore what I say you better listen to because I am the authority. Let me, let me just make it real clear so that you know and so that you know that we know that the only authority, that the authority of this pulpit is not in the man that stands here. The authority of this pulpit is what is preached from this pulpit, the word of God. That is the authority that we have. John is saying that their record is the authority that comes from God. What is their record? It is the word of God. John is referring to divine revelation. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is to say that the, the Jesus we confess is the Jesus that the witness of God's word has given us. 
for the witness of the revealed word regarding Jesus is the revelation of the radiance of the glory of God, the ex exact imprint of his nature. Again, the ability to truly hear the truth is the ability to hear with the ears of your spirit. The ability to hear with the ears of your spirit comes only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in your heart is the one who has given you insight to know who Jesus really is. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I realize that we are a smaller group gathering this morning, but, but perhaps there might be someone here that have never heard him. If you are here this morning and, and you hear God's word with the ears of your spirit, if you confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, you are blessed. That is a blessing of God. For you to be able to sing, I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. That's a blessing for you to be able to actually claim that. I will trust in no other except for in Him alone. That's a blessing. You have been blessed because of what God has imparted to you. You abide in God and God abides in you. He has given to you his spirit. You have fellowship with the God and creator of all creation. You have fellowship with him. He has given you, to, uh, given you the capacity to believe. He has given you the capacity to obey and to love him and to love his people. Your, life's is, your life is sourced in God and may your assurance and your hope rest in his ability to hold you and to sustain you until the end. So I exhort you to praise God. But if you are here this morning, you may be joining us and you have never come to the true faith in Jesus that is revealed in God's word. Perhaps you are wandering and searching for, for that which is truth. Perhaps this morning God has placed you and has placed in your heart a longing to truly know him. If that is true to you, if that is true, know that it is not by mere happenstance that you are here this morning. Know that the longing of your heart to know him is from God himself, opening the ears of your spirit, drawing you to his son. And to you, I encourage, don't wait any longer. Turn to him now. And in faith, thank him for your calling, for calling you to himself and confess that Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have given to us your Spirit who dwells within us, who bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, bears witness with our spirit that we belong to you, and that the Jesus that has been revealed in Scripture is the Jesus Christ, 
who has shed his blood on our behalf that we might be saved, that we might have eternal life. Father, may we rejoice in that and may that rejoicing uh, be lived out in the way that we live our lives. May we live as children of God, as those who belong to you. May, may we live in, in ob- obedient faith to what you have enabled us to do in pleasing you. May we be faithful in good works because we have been created to that end. Father, for those who may not know you, I pray that today you, in your mercy, would bring them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Save some, Lord, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.